Praise God. How great the Lord truly is in our life. Praise the Lord. Praise God. The next few weeks, the times and moments I come to you to preach up till Christmas Eve, I'm going to be involving myself in being able to share this particular series to you. And the series is, is titled Images of Christmas. Im Images of Christmas. And I, I thought about, with this title, I thought about a scripture in the Word talking about images or the visible image is in Colossians 1.15 where that Paul's writing, he says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Why? Because we need images. We are people with eyes, we see, and we need to remember with images. Only, what was it? Last Sunday we had the image of the Lord's table and the Lord's Supper. We have images to help us to hold on to, to see and to realize. And the images that are in the Word of God, I'm only going to touch on a few of them, but there's just so many of them that I want you to know and I declare to you that this season of recognizing Christ's coming this advent of him coming is leading to us to anticipate the second advent, which is Jesus coming back again. And he is going to come back again. But this advent season is all about realizing the spiritualness and the season of miracles, knowing that God intervened and God came down to this earth that was lost without him. He set the stage in the Old Testament, leading man to a place that now we can come to Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I live in the New Testament. I'm glad I live in the New Testament. I, how many here enjoyed your Thanksgiving meal? Raise your hand. How many are still enjoying your Thanksgiving meal? <laughs> We're really, really thankful. I was kidding around with Dwayne earlier today, and I told him, I said, uh, I asked him if Diane cooked the meal, or he did. He said, no. He said, Diane, he said, I cook pretty, pretty good, but Diane, you know, cooks the Thanksgiving meal, and, and he said it was really good, and so I'll put a plug in for you, uh, Dwayne, for my brother, so he can have a good relationship with his wife, and, but, you know, my wife, she tells me, now, I, did, I didn't cook Thanksgiving meal I may have chopped here and there, but I just, you know, the oven, she, I was banned from the oven. Because she said, she told me a long time ago, she said, Ronnie, she said, your cooking is a spiritual experience. She, yeah. She says, either it's a bloody sacrifice or a burnt offering. <laughs> but it's, it's a spiritual experience. I want us to see the images of Christmas. Images and see the message. Because if we were to really open up our Bibles and begin to read and study and search through the scriptures this season of what God has done, what he has performed in our lives and to the world, then we would have to admit praise God for Christmas. Praise the Lord for Christmas. It's interesting in my experiences in my life, I've heard through the ages where preachers were saying Christmas needs to be simplified. It's too complicated. It's too much, too much hoopla, too many lights, too much big. I mean, and how many have been down 
in town at Gal Police Lights already? You ever been there? And yeah, that's a lot of lights. And I can understand that message, but our world has taken a shift. We have shifted in the past few years of moving away from God in a confusion of not deciding who God really is to a polytheistic idea in our culture. We just, we're just multiplistic ideas of ways to get to heaven. We've gotten to a place in America where, where one time it was considered to be a Christian nation. nation. Now it's just kind of, uh, there's a remnant holding on. So I'm saying today, you can't have enough lights out. You can't send enough Christmas cards. And you can't sing enough Christmas carols. That's ever going to be too much in a world that seems to go so far away from God. So I'm telling you, honey, live it up. Live it up. Celebrate Christ's coming. You know the reason. You know why. You know the why he came. So celebrate Christ's coming and celebrate him. Amen. Will you give the Lord a clap offering of praise? Come on, how many years going to do it? Let's do it. It's not a religious thing. It's the truth. And the truth will set people free. Paul writes, it says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. And images of Christmas, image helps us get an idea to remember with an image, with the pics. We see and we remember and one image I want you to remember this morning is Bethlehem. Bethlehem, the image of man's opportunity. The image of man's opportunity. Will you pray with me right now, Father? In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask you, Lord, that you will anoint this message, God, that you will touch each and every one of us in this room. Let your word come alive. Help me, God that you fill in the gaps that I may leave, that your word go forth as you have promised and accomplished that which it set out to do. Just anoint this room, anoint us, everyone in this room, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Bethlehem, image of man's opportunity. Matthew's gospel, chapter 2, verse 1 through 6, goes as follows. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, and not, 
are the least of among the rule. Uh, let me see. Are not the least among the rulers of Judah? For cry, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. I wondered this morning, how long would it take us to walk six miles? How long would it, some of us, would take longer than others? Some of you who are, you know, you're not braggadocious about it, but you're a little bit more fit to walk six miles. You could do it if you wanted to. Most folks could walk six miles in just a couple hours, maybe reach six miles and reach that destination. If you wanted to walk from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, it's only six miles if you start in the morning, you'd get there in the afternoon. The land of Israel is very tiny compared to America, the United States. The whole country is about 8,500 square miles. That's roughly the size of New Jersey and maybe a little bit bigger than Vermont. I had a person tell me that a visitor to the land of Israel would realize that most of the key events in the history of Israel took place within 100 miles of Jerusalem. And one of the most important, significant events that took place was only six miles from Jerusalem. 2,000 years ago, Bethlehem, there wasn't much there. there. It wasn't very much to look at. Bethlehem was indeed, as, as Philip Brooks wrote, the little town of Bethlehem. Although it was known as the birthplace of David, the town itself was home to maybe about 200 permanent residents. Because it was close to Jerusalem, it was uh, kind of like the stopping place, the, the last leg of the journey before going to Jerusalem. People would stop and would stop at Bethlehem before they would go into Jerusalem and rest and then take the last leg of the journey that they made, would go into Jerusalem maybe the next day. It was the town that Mary or Joseph had to go because of the census tax that we read in Luke chapter 2 was required that they go to their hometown, and that's where Mary and Joseph ended up in Bethlehem. Jerusalem and Bethlehem were like next-door neighbors, the one a large city and the other one just a hamlet, a small place just outside of Jerusalem. You ever gone somewhere where some, or talk to someone and they tell you where they're from and then you say, well, what's, where's the closest city? So you know where it's at and kind of get an idea because their town is so small and insignificant you rarely would see it on the map, but you would see the big city. Jerusalem was on the map, Bethlehem was on the map, only because probably David. But when it came down to population and importance, it's just really not a lot of importance there except history. And many times people would stop there, spend the night, and go to Jerusalem because it's only six miles away. 
I think it's interesting that God has always positioned himself conveniently close to man. God has never really went far from man. Now, we've went away from him and walk away from him, but God has always made himself close by and nearby and has always done that. This, this book that we read, this word that we read, proves and, and confirms the fact that God is not very far off. In, in Acts chapter 17, verse 27, 28, the Bible says, His purposes for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. He's not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and exist. Does that sound familiar? So he's not very far from any one of us. He's there. Against the backdrop of the town of Bethlehem and the city of Jerusalem, we read in Matthew's account in Scripture where that there were the coming of these wise men. And there's so many questions that come to our mind when we read this, like, who were these wise men, and where did they come from, and how far did they travel? How many wise men came to Jerusalem? Don't say three. It's not in Scripture. What was the star that they saw in the east, and how did they know what it meant? How did it lead them, and why did they come to worship the king of the Jews? Why was the whole city disturbed when they heard about it? that the wise men were there in Jerusalem. The king and everybody else was disturbed because of the wise men. But what I want us to focus more is on one question that the text doesn't entirely answer. Why didn't the Jewish leaders go to Bethlehem? Why didn't they go? It was so close, it was only six miles away. And they knew that it was there and the scriptures were there. They knew the truth. They knew that Messiah would be born there. Why didn't they go and check it out for themselves? The wise man knew so little, came so far, and gave so much. The teachers of the law knew so much, were so near, and did so little. They knew the truth. They had the word. They had it in front of them. I think it's kind of like a parallel, if there's a parallel universe, I believe we're here now. I think that that, that Advent, they missed Jesus coming, and if we're not careful, we've got all this church and all this word and all this flooding in of information and knowledge, and we do nothing about it, we'll find ourselves, we'll miss that second Advent if we're not careful. I mean, when I worked on this message, I worked on this message on Mitchell Road, where I live. And I realized that Rio Grande is only six miles away. Would I be willing to take a journey to Rio Grande to go and see Jesus? If someone said that Jesus was in Bidwell, would you stop and go and greet him? If, if Jesus showed up, would we go and greet him? If Jesus came to Centerville or Porter, or Gallup Police, would we be too busy to go see him? Think of all the teachers of the law knew what they knew about the coming of Messiah. They knew he would be born in the seed of, from a seed of a woman in Genesis chapter 3. 
They knew he would be a descendant of Shem in Genesis chapter 9. They knew he would be the seed of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. They knew he would be a descendant of Isaac in Genesis 22. They knew he would be a descendant of Jacob, Genesis 28. They knew they would be of the tribe of Judah in Genesis 49. They knew he would be the son of David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. They knew he would be, would be born of a virgin in Isaiah 7 and 14. And they knew he would be born in Bethlehem in Micah chapter 5. We could actually summarize, I could summarize the statements what the Jewish scholars knew about Messiah. Five statements. He would be a Jew. He would come from the tribe of Judah. He would be the descendant of David. He would be born in Bethlehem. And he would be born of a virgin. They knew the truth. And they were there. Who were these scribes, these chief priests that Herod turned to when the wise men showed up? And said, we're here to see your king of the Jews to be born. These scribes were the best and the brightest minds of the day. Professional students of the Torah of God, the Word. They studied the Old Testament day and night. They knew the Word of God. They revered it, learned it, debated it, studied it, and memorized it. Some of them had memorized the five, first five books of the Old Testament by memory. Some even knew, could memorize, could speak, and say all of the book of Psalms by memory. They had it all in their mind. They knew, they knew the books of the prophets. And they knew, and they studied, and they knew. And, here they, and they knew that what Micah foretold 700 years earlier about Messiah, that he would be born in Bethlehem, they knew it. They knew the truth, but why didn't they go to Bethlehem? There were three answers to that question. Their knowledge made them intellectually lazy. You see, I mean, you know, I think it's possible you can actually know too much. It changes you. You can study so long, compare so many questions and read so many books and debate so many ideas that you never get around to making a commitment to anything. You're ever learning as in 2 Timothy 3 and 7, talking about the last days that they're ever learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Knowledge is good, but at the same, at some point though, you've got to decide what you personally believe. This is, the, this is the challenge of the present generation. We brag and declare how many degrees and how smart we are and how much we study religions and various religions. But until you come to a conclusion and a personal commitment of yourself of what you believe, it's always going to be what somebody else, is, somebody else says. I serve Christ because I know Christ. My mom was a Christian, but I'm not a Christian because of my mom. I found out I learned some things from her, but I came to a place, and you came to a place, of a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. You heard that he was arriving in Bethlehem and decided to take your six-mile journey to the place where he's at.
What use is great knowledge if you never have a personal commitment? Second reason, he says, the reason why they didn't go is their religion made them spiritually indifferent. We are flooded. It's been declared for 20 years that we are in the information age. We are flooded with so much information of, of ridiculous, insignificant details. Our minds are flooded with so much information and so much stuff. And in the church world, we have our big programs. We have our big time worship. We have our big time stage and the lights. The big time preachers and all the trimmings that come with it. Can I get an amen? And because of that, we can grow spiritually indifferent. In Jerusalem, they had the temple. In Jerusalem, they had the teachers. In Jerusalem, they had the status. In Jerusalem, they knew everything. They were knowledgeable. They were smart. Oh, who wants to listen to some outside foreigners coming in looking strange, acting strange, and saying they follow the star? And there they are in Jerusalem telling us about Messiah. I'll tell you what's going to happen. How many of you have ever heard about the end time revival? You know where it's going to come from? From the outsiders. America will experience the revival of the last days if we make sure we're not spiritually indifferent that we think we ought to know everything. We know everything, what's going on. We know how to worship. We know how to church. We know how to have big time stuff. We know how to produce. But it may be very well someone coming in as an outsider that had a born-again experience picked up from the ash heap of, of, of desolation, of out in the street and living homeless for a while and coming to Jesus and doesn't know all the proper way and doing things and saying things, but the power of God is with them and they know what they believe in. I believe if we're not careful, we won't listen to the outsiders because we want to keep things the way we want to have it and everything needs to be the way we like it. Here's these wise men. Who are these wise guys? Who do you think they are? Coming in on our space. Coming in on, we know this stuff. It belongs to us, not them. No, where they were sadly mistaken was the fact Jesus belongs to the whole world. He belongs to the whole world. What's the church supposed to do with the immigration so-called problem? Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. And if we have to get translators, get translators. But preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone. That's the answer. Not our usually... Us four no more type of mindset. And so the third answer to the question is why did they, 
would be that their background made them culturally arrogant. They just really didn't believe these outsiders. It caused a stir more than hearing what they had to say. They came in and rode in and says, where's your king being born? Messiah. You know Messiah. You know the person you've been talking about for hundreds and hundreds of years and generations since the garden that you've declared and say Messiah will come? Where is he? Where is he? And all the scribes come. They knew the answer right off. Bethlehem. Bethlehem is is where he's going to be. Charles Spurgeon wrote, he said, talking about these Jewish leaders, he said, those who should have been leaders were no leaders. They would not even be followers of that which is good, for they had no heart towards Christ. And I underline that in that, underline the last phrase, because I have no heart, it's always an issue. Our heart If it's not right with God, it doesn't matter how much learning you get. It doesn't matter how much Sunday school you get. If your heart is wrong, it doesn't matter how much Bible you read. If your heart is wrong, it's wrong. It's out of sync. It's out of of sync. You'll become more religious than saved. I'm not picking on the word of God. This is the word of life. It leads to salvation. It saves us. But if we don't allow the word to reach our heart... And the message to reach where it belongs, and we just got a whole lot of, we got a head game going on here. A head game going on here. Let me tell you, this is what's so great about spiritual warfare. If you're religious, it's all up here. Guess what else is up here? You got the devil, you got the forces of evil working against you, the images you see and all the stuff you're battling in. Your religious life, is, it just won't survive with all the struggle. You'll become more carnal than what you'll be spiritual. But if my mind is bombarded by questions in a time of crisis and I'm down physically and I'm a little weak, the, the thing is this, my heart cries out to God. My heart will cause me to worship the Lord. My heart will cause me to walk six miles to where Jesus is and to bow down and to offer myself to him. My heart will make a difference always, always. That's why it can't all be up here. It can. If the heart's not right, no amount of religion can save it. John Calvin writes about the same point. He says, it's truly an instance of base sluggishness that not one of the Jews offers himself as an escort to those foreigners or wise men to go and see the king who had been promised to their own nation. Sluggishness. Sluggishness. The Lord, the Holy Spirit, and his power, truth, and worshiping the king and knowing who Jesus is intentionally worshiping him will tear down that sluggishness. Yeah? Because the wise men, they didn't stumble on where they were at. They intentionally went to find Jesus. Just six miles away. Six miles and none of the scribes cared enough to go and check out the rumor 
that had been the long-awaited Messiah had been born. Six miles from Jesus. Six miles from salvation. Six miles from forgiveness. Six miles from eternal life. They were too busy studying the Bible to see it for themselves. One fact stands out above all others in Matthew 2 that I read to you. Everybody involved had the same basic information. They all had the same news, the same information. Herod knew and tried to kill him. The scribes knew and ignored him. The wise man knew and went and worshipped him. They knew they'd be born in Bethlehem. I like what C.S. Lewis said. You know, it is possible to, to know a great deal and still miss the truth. Lewis wrote, he said these words, Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, sound familiar, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in with Jesus. Everything else. And Noah, I thought you were going to take over my message. You did a portion of it. And then Cindy ran along with it. I think God's just trying to give us a message this morning. To the fact with, with him, everything else thrown in. That unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be on his. What are we going to do during these days of frustration and hardship and maybe leading to days of persecution? We know that the government... It's on the shoulders of Jesus. I'm not talking about Washington. I'm talking about the plans that's been laid out by an eternal God. All of it is placed upon his shoulders. It's on him. It's not on you. It's on him. And will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called amazing. I had to replace wonderful to amazing. Because really it's the same word. It means same. Amazing. How's been your God lately? How's he been in your life? I mean, you got your stories. You got your experiences. He's not only wonderful, he is amazing for what he has done in our life and what he is doing. He is amazing. He is amazing. Counselor. Knowing that I have someone to turn to, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. All this thrown in together with Jesus. That's what he is. That's what we do this season. We celebrate him, who he is. I guess if we were to think of a question to ask, the ultimate question would be, it's not how someone else responds, but how do you respond to Jesus? Ultimately, it boils down to you, your life, your decision. That's really the only thing that matters. Let me ask you, are you with Herod and the scribes, or are you, are you with the wise men? Are you, are you hostile to Jesus? Are you too busy to get involved? Or are you coming to worship him as Savior and Lord? Jesus said in Mark 7, 6 and 8, He answered and said to them, Well, 
Well did Isaiah prophesy to you hypocrites, as it's written, this people honors me with lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching doctrines and commandments of men, laying aside the commandment of God, you go and hold to the tradition of men. Being religious, that's good enough. Don't come to church to punch in your time card and think you're going to move in better in God's kingdom. You come to church hungry. You come to church humbly. You come to church ready to glorify the Son of God and offer gifts unto him and to glorify his holy name. For he is king of kings and lord of lords. Going to church won't get you closer to heaven. It's supposed to get you closer to Jesus. Because you come for him. And he's the reason why the wise man came was because the baby they, I mean, they no doubt knew that about the virgin, about Joseph, that story. But they came and brought the gifts to the baby. They came to see the Savior, the Savior of the world, that heaven set forth lights. And heaven decided to have a glorious party in the skies as the angels rejoice and glorify God. And I'm so glad that this dirty shepherd out in a field that smelled like, like the, the sheep dung would hear from the Lord and behold his glory and be able to go and bow before him and to glorify his holy name. Why are you yelling? I can't help it. If you pay for me some counseling, I won't go. I won't go. Why? It is the gospel. If he didn't come, if he didn't come, why are we here? But he came, and I'm here, and you're here. Hey, you want to glorify his holy name. You see, let our hearts be drawn to him. In closing, Paul writes, familiar passage of scripture. See, it's the heart. It's the heart condition. It's about the heart. Herod didn't have the heart for Messiah. He didn't want He saw his competition. The scribes didn't have the heart. They, they, were, they were too much into their position and what they know. But the wise men had the heart. Paul says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God's raising from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made to salvation. How are you today? Are you willing to walk the six miles? Are you wanting, needing Jesus in your life? You know him. You, you know the results of walking those six miles. You know how wonderful, how close he made himself available. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. How's your heart today? God will make it right. He'll make it right with him if you ask him. Would you just stand with me right now? The worship team would like to come and join me.
I got to tell you, I like Frosty, the snowman. I like, I grew up, hey, he come around when I was little. I got memories with Frosty. I like Rudolph. I think that fat guy in the red suit's kind of neat. If you understand the true message, you can celebrate of goodness that comes from God. Every good gift comes down from the Father of lights. You celebrate. But Jesus, he's the meaning. He's the message. And let's, let's start off right. This is the Sunday after Thanksgiving where they say, I mean, some, I mean some, I'm not asking how many participated in Black Friday, but I don't know if Black Friday initially kicks in the Christmas season. I don't know. But now... It is a time to start looking toward our Savior and our Lord and let him do something inside you and let him change your heart. Be willing to go the six miles. Don't reject God. Don't turn him away. He's made himself so available. And I got to tell you, for those of you who stressed over walking the six miles, you can hop in my Kia Soul with me and I'll drive that six miles. You know what I mean? It is that easy that the Lord has made himself available for us. I want to ask you a question. Are you a Christian? Let me ask again to emphasize the question. Are you a Christian? Are you just walking in tradition? You're really going to miss what God has for you this time of year. You need Christ in your life. It gives you joy and a song. Oh my. And you'll find the real reason the wise men traveled so far. They looked for him. Are you looking for him? Are you looking for him? Well, he's not far. He's here. He's ready to receive you. If everyone would, just close your eyes for a moment. And saints, I want you to pray. I don't want anybody to leave this house not having Jesus in their heart, not serving the Lord, not having the assurance of a Savior. Are you here today and you say, Pastor Ron, I, I, I believed in the message, but it's kind of got all fogged up and bogged up with different stuff, and I got all upset, I got hurt, I got all oh, this, this stuff just got in the way. But I'm, I need Jesus. I need him, and I'm ready for him. I want you just to raise your hand quickly and let it down. God, see your hand. We're going to pray. God bless you. Someone, God bless you. Someone else? Anyone else? Just Once you raise it, you can let it down. Anyone else to say, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Just raise your hand and let it down. I saw your hands and more than that, God sees them. And I'm going to ask everybody in this house, everybody in this house to pray this prayer out loud. And then before you leave, I want you to find me front here. I want to make, if you would, while people are leaving, you'll find me. I'll be up around here. Come to me. I got, I got something for you. But I want us all to pray this prayer right now. Let's pray it out loud. And you raise your hand. You especially pray this prayer. Say, Lord I need you in my life. Forgive me of my sins. I believe in you, Jesus. 
I want you to dwell in my heart. And I want to live for you. Give me all that you have for me. And I give you all of myself. I love you, Lord. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for receiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you give the Lord a clap offering of praise? Hallelujah!